Hello and welcome to Pillin' at the Crime Cast. I'm your host Lux and with me today is a very special guest, David. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And you? Uh, I am excellent. Yeah, it's nice to be recording again. Nice to be back in the, the studio, air quotes. I'm just in my room. Yeah, better better somewhere than nowhere. Um, do you want to tell the fine folk how we know each other? So we... Or would you prefer to be a mystery man? <laughs> uh, no, so we both uh, studied at the University of Nottingham and uh, we were both on or involved with uh, student radio and student union affairs and uh, I couldn't pin down exactly where we met, but uh, wherever it was, we've stayed in contact since. Mm. And obviously then I heard Which you guys been doing the podcast, so yeah. You know, true crime podcast. Yeah, it's been lovely. So D- David messages me every so often about about the podcast, and you know when shit went down, you were very kind to message me and say that you'd help out if I needed it and stuff. So that's very much appreciated. That's all right. I'm gl- look. I'm glad to hear. You know, that a few episodes came since then, and and looking to get back into it. And yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I'm actually recording a second episode after this one with you, just one on my own. So. And it's a big one as well. I think it's about 4,000 words. Oh, Lord. It's, so, not, it's not the uh, documentary we were talking about, is it? No, no, it's not. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Um, well, actually, this, this will be released after that one. So I can tell you, it was the, um, it's an amalgamation of February crimes, crimes that happened this February. Um, so it's just stuff that... Neat. That's, you know, relevant to right now. So yeah, I'm neat. hopefully going to be doing that every month. Oh, that's really yeah. good, actually. That's clever. But it was very depressing to research, tell you that, because when you research stuff like the case I'm doing today, which is a long time ago or it's someone really messed up, it's, you know, interesting and you can detach yourself. But when it's like, oh, yeah, last week so-and-so died or what, last week this trial happened, it's just very upsetting because it's so, it's so current. Well, to lift you behind the magic curtain, listeners, uh, literally this morning from our time, there was another, uh, there was the incident in Christchurch and... Yeah, sometimes feels that you can't ever get away from... Well, I suppose that's the point of true crime, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's just a bit overwhelming sometimes, isn't it? I had to take several breaks, which is why it took so long to get the February episode out. It'll be coming out at the end of March rather than at the end of February like it was supposed to. It was just too depressing. Couldn't do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> on a uh, less depressing right. note, I was saying before we started recording that I wanted to tell you about uh, the haunting on Hill ha- of Hill House. Yes. And you said, is it worth watching? Is it any good? And I wish someone had explained it to me properly so that I could have seen it sooner. Because Meg, the my old co-host, she kept saying like, oh, it's really good. Oh, you'll really like it. And I went, well, I don't really like ghost, mo- ghost movies or ghost TV shows. So no, I'm not going to watch it. But oh my goodness, it's more about the effect that having lived in a haunted house has on you afterwards so these kids grow up in a haunted house and you get like flashbacks and flash forwards and all of this and you see how being haunted has affected their lives from then on so for example one of them becomes a heroin addict one of them um is like really sexually deviant and doesn't like getting close to people one of them um has sleep paralysis and lots of nightmares and stuff and it's just really interesting like psychologically i would definitely recommend it Sounds it sounds interesting. Yeah, have you watched anything true crimey recently that you 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 want to recommend to me? No, not not true crime. I've been trying to catch up with Game of Thrones before the final season comes out. That's a good idea. I'll I'll allow a lapse in true crime watching. <laughs> um, right. Should we talk about some murder then? No better time than the present. You were saying how you're doing a a thing about February. 
and how things happened in February and it's been depressing and depressing that it's also mm. current and, and real time. Well, one thing that certainly wasn't real time in Britain, and don't worry, everybody, this obviously isn't the person I'm going to do because, you know, Britain had and London had Jack the Ripper, a late 19th century. But uh, given I studied about Russia and China, I thought I'd go and look up whether those countries had anyone comparable. And I found the nickname, the Chinese Jack the Ripper. So if Britain's Jack the Ripper was in the 1880s, uh, when would you say the Chinese Jack the Ripper struck? I want to say like the 1940s. Yep, yeah, fairly close. Um, this is a man called Gao Cheng Yong, who was born in a place called Yuzhong, Gansu in China on the 10th of November 1964. Wow, so a lot earlier, actually. Yeah. He's thought to have killed 11 women between 1988 and 2002. And you'll see why I bring him up as uh, relevant. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get to that. That's the end of the story. Okay. Uh, so let's set the scene a little bit. This man, literally his arrest was a surprise to his family. I mentioned where he was born. He was married for 30 years. They have two adult sons. And the oldest son was born in the year 1988. And that is the year he was thought to have killed his first victim. All women, all in all in China, and nine of them in a place called Baiyin in the same province where he was born in Gansu, and two next door uh, in a place called Inner Mongolia, a town called Baotou. Okay. So some of the details of this are a little bit sketchy because naturally the Chinese media being what the Chinese media is, they don't report too much no. of the negative stuff. But let's, let's start then on May the 26th, 1988. This is the first murder. Uh, a 23-year-old buy-in female who was found in her home with 26 wounds. So even though this was his first, I'm going to say murder, I was about to say first crime, but obviously um, you can't necessarily say that. Mm. This was just... Almost, it looks almost premeditated. It's not something that happens on the spur of a moment. You don't, even in self-defence, 26. It's, that's overkill. That is the definition of overkill, isn't it? Well, it's certainly kill. <laughs> now, uh, weird things, as I say, there aren't too many details about the, the victims or the crimes too much, um, mostly because it uses quite a lot of China-specific vocabulary that wouldn't really be worth the translating. The interesting thing, though, all of his victims were young females dressed in red. He appeared to do this completely randomly. Oh, gosh. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's no other reason. Super these, weird. These, these don't appear to be relations. They, these don't appear to be people who know him. They are all dressed in red. Um, now, whether that was some sort of comment on anything is not known, but it's certainly... Usually red is seen as a colour of good luck in China. Mm. Uh, and some have speculated that it's connected to... Like, picking a colour like that, it's not just any colour. It's a colour that has so much symbolism in that country. I say they were all young women. The youngest victim was an eight-year-old girl. Right. Uh, and this man would follow them home, uh, sexually violate them, slash their throats, mutilate their sexual organs... Uh, and police, for example, found the sixth victim where after Gao had cut off her breasts, hands and ears. That's very, very ripper. 
Well, exactly. That's exactly why he acquired the nickname. It's exactly how people became aware of his crimes and what they were looking for. But they were the police in Bayin were completely at a loss as to who'd done this. They had fingerprints. They had semen. They could tie those 11 murders together, but they couldn't match the DNA evidence to anyone registered as living in Bayin. And this is China, a country that keeps DNA records. So that's how he managed to stay free for 28 years. So how did he manage to never get his DNA, t- DNA taken? Because he was registered. Every, house, every household in China has to belong to a registry. And he was registered in a different city. Oh, I see. And with a billion people, you might imagine that cross-sharing of information isn't necessarily at its best. Mm. He'd never registered himself in the city where he'd found uh, or where he'd, he'd killed nine of those victims. And in 2004, so again, this is after they'd stopped, after the killings had stopped, and there's mm. no reason as to why they had either. The authorities offered um, around about a £2,000, uh, sorry, £20,000, yeah, $30,000 reward for information, but nothing ever materialised. So the next question is, how was he caught? Well, there was evidence... Uh, that came out early in 2016 that um, sort of re-sparked people's interests in the case. His uncle was arrested for a minor crime in Bayin, and they collected his DNA, and that's when the authorities noticed there was a close resemblance to the killer's DNA, and they managed, they managed to determine that the two men were related. No way! So in March... The, in March of 2016, the police took DNA samples from the relatives of that man who was arrested in that city. And Gao Chenyong was a perfect match for the evidence on file. And obviously, um, the article I see here says, the police wasted no time in arresting him. Uh, so, this man was finally caught in 2016, 14 years after committing his final murder. So, on that basis, he was literally... Are we sure it's his final one? Yes, his, his, the final murder that, that... Well, yes, that is a very valid point for a true crime podcast. It is the final one that he was linked to, which was in 2002. Right. So, he was arrested uh, at the grocery store where he worked. And yeah, not an uncommon place. It's, it's not a behind-the-desk job. It's not somewhere where you don't see lots of people. It is at a grocery store on the 26th of August 2016 and charged with murder, sexual assault, robbery and corpse defiling. And according to the Interior Ministry in China, he confessed to all 11 murders. He was sentenced to death and stripped of all his assets on the 30th of March 2018 and was executed on the 3rd of January 2019. So I said you'd see why it was relevant to when you were saying all the stuff about February. This man... Yeah, so he was literally executed this year. He was executed on the 3rd of January this year. And I'll quote from the uh, BBC article about it. Uh, Yeah, a Chinese serial killer convicted of murdering 11 girls and women between 1988 and 2002 has been executed. Uh, The court in Bayin called his actions despicable. His execution on Thursday was announced on the court's social media accounts. It is not clear how it was carried out, though death sentences in China are mostly carried out by lethal injection or a firing squad. 
Gosh. There aren't really many other ways, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it, it adds... It, unfortunately, because of the nature of this case and the country it was in, even the BBC, with their propensity to add great detail to stories like this, it literally... It, it says almost exactly the same. The killer often targeting young women who lived alone... Women in the city would not walk alone in the streets without being accompanied by male relatives or friends after the spate of attacks. But it was that weirdness of this case. They also had 14 years without anything happening, without him being caught. That's the strangest part to me. Despite his DNA being on file the entire time. It's a near baffling... Maybe that's why they're keeping it so hush-hush. If the police had done such a great job, maybe they would have posted about it more maybe they would have said said more things because it would have been look at this amazing feat that we've achieved rather than look at all these horrific crimes oh we fucked up we didn't catch him well absolutely does that make sense completely and absolutely and it's it's uh double it's not quite ironic but it's apt that he also acquired the nickname jack the ripper because of course jack the ripper was not able to be caught Mm. So you have this this man who, for more than one reason, fits. There's no sort of game of mishmash of two murderers to play here. It is very, very clear who this man acted like. It is very unclear why he acted. There was young women who followed alone following the birth of his son, but he followed young women dressed in red. Do you reckon that was the catalyst, perhaps? Because that feels like quite a big coincidence. You know, you have a child and then all of a sudden you become murderous i could sort of understand it more if he'd had a daughter yeah and you you have some sort of connection there it certainly sparked something in his mind quite what then linked it to women young women dressed in red that also involved sexual elements and defiling of corpses as well defiling of corpses is something that doesn't just develop no of all the theories of of serial killers and all the theories of uh, these people who commit the most heinous acts, actually then going on to defile the corpse and not leave the evidence at the scene. I, it's a very, very odd... It, it is. It, it's odd in so many ways. Odd the crimes, odd that the police didn't catch it, odd that we know so little about it because of, yeah, the country mm. it came from. But whether or not you agree with the death penalty at least the man was caught in 2016 so coming up to 30 years i feel after like the first they murder, definitely should have staggered i mean i don't they might have done and just not and just not released any information about it but i wish they had kept him around just so that they could probe into that mind a little bit more and see what was going on well it says he confessed to his crimes quite early so i'd imagine they they didn't want to they, they just wanted to get rid of him Potentially. Obviously, from our perspective, we're, we're interested in his mindset and why and what caused it. Yeah. Essentially, it looks like he practically pled insanity without, without actually pleading insanity. He just sort of pled, you know, completely guilty, completely culpable. I'm not even going to try and argue this. Uh, just lock me in a cell and I'll await my sentence. It's quite apathetic for a man who did such heinous crimes and was so motivated before and is now just sort of yeah lock me up whatever absolutely it's it's very odd that you you're absolutely right that a, that a person who would do such things sort of so meekly gave themselves over but then they did sort of have him banned to rights and he'd stopped and maybe he'd kind of thought oh you know i you know it, it's not like most things you know you, you do some thieving 
and you stop and you go, well, that was a bad thing. I'll never do that again. You can't, you know, do 11 murders and corpse defiling and whatnot and then go, oh, that was a bad thing. I'll never do that again. And maybe they'll not catch me. Yeah, it's not... It's not the sort of thing you accidentally do once or try once. It's not like, oh, yeah, I tried weed once, didn't really agree with me. Tried it again like a year later just to double check and nah, it's not for me. It's not really that sort of thing, is it? It's um, it's quite deliberate and <laughs> intense. Yeah, despite what that propaganda film, uh, The End of the Fucking World, would have you believe, most people don't try and do that. Yeah. Certainly one of the weirder people in the world and... And his story was brought to a, if you want to believe it's a satisfying conclusion. I mean, personally, I find the satisfying conclusion on the 28th of August 2016, when the man is arrested, when there is no chance he can commit these crimes. But if you're mm. if you're one of the people who is otherwise minded, then yes. Uh, the 3rd of January 2019, this horrible man, Gao Cheng Yong, uh, was executed for his murders. Do you know how old he was the day he was executed? The day he was executed, he was 54 years old. Wow. Okay, so he still had quite a, quite a bit of life to, to go. Yeah, he would have had. He, he was, again, you're looking at, he's only 24 years old when he starts Gosh, committing these, these acts. And it, that's us. It's very young. Oh, gee, thanks for that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but then again, it, it took him 30 years to face retribution. The best part of 30 years. Gosh, can you imagine being his son or his wife and finding out after all those years? I mean, if you're, if I imagine, you know, the uncle who got arrested, you're sat there going, well, my arrest did something good. Yeah, you're welcome, world. <laughs> this is why, I don't know how you feel about it, but websites such as 23andMe um, and other sort of DNA collecting heritage sites where you find out about how your sleep patterns um and you know any hereditary diseases you might be likely to have i and also you know what your uh ethnicity is and your other family members etc that's why people do it but i think it's really important to do it just because then you're in a database you can help i might have a third cousin twice removed or whatever that i've never met but they could be a horrendous murderer so i'd quite like to give the police my dna i don't know how do you feel about that I, I'm, I'd imagine there are easier ways to give the police your DNA, even though that does sound like a quite hilarious euphemism for having sexual relations with a police officer. It does, yeah. Um, a handwritten sign that says, all, all sorts says of jokes. give us your DNA, and there's just a man dressed in leather being all provocative. <laughs> well, why do you need the leather? He's in a police uniform. No, he's the collector. He's not necessarily a policeman. He just works for them. I don't know. It works in my mind. <laughs> that is definitely a perk of the job. Um... Yeah, no, there are easier ways. You can just go straight to the police. But if you would like to, you know, find out a bit, people obviously do it to gain something for themselves. So, but it just has the happy coincidence of potentially helping with police investigations, which I think is pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you remember um, when the police came round? It would have been, it was definitely the two or three freshers' fairs that I went to mm. when they were doing the photos for police efits. Yes. Yep, I, I had them and do I that with me. I never... Oh, you had them do that. I never went to that, but that was mainly because the line was so long, it wasn't worth mm. it. No, no, I, so they, from what I remember, they just took my photo and maybe like my fingerprints or something. Um, so there you go. So you're already... I'm in the database you already. You can't now commit a crime. Oh no, gosh damn it. I can't commit any crimes. How will I cope? 
Right, so is, if that's the conclusion of your case, I'd quite quite happily I mean, move on to I, mine. I don't really know of many cases in the literature that have con- uh, haven't concluded with the death of the perpetrator. <laughs> yeah, true. That is pretty much uh, the end. Although my one does actually have a bit extra after he dies. I've got some. I've got some more stuff to talk about. So extra, extra. Yours could have been the same. Uh, no, I, that is indeed the story of uh, Gao Cheng Yong, China's Jack the Ripper. Welcome back to Killing It the Crimecast. Again, I'm here with David. Say hello, David. Hello, David. <laughs> um, and today I'm covering the Marquis de Sade, and it's I've got a monster mash. Ooh! It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. So it's Gilles de Ray and Lady Bathory. Is it just the first one because it's got a French name? Kinda, but also the other stuff. <laughs> Touche. So, any guesses, or should I just should I just launch in? I'm aware of the Marquis de Sade as a personality, and I'm aw- I'm aware that sadistic comes from. Oh, I believe the word sadistic comes from the Marquis de Sade. So, I am very interested in finding yes. out the truth. So, um, I've actually I'm going to start off with the definition of sadism, which is uh, the oh, tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from inflicting pain, suffering, or humiliation on others. So that's where we get that from. It's quite popular nowadays, I suppose. S and M, sadomasochism, absolutely fine, but not in the way that it started, as in not in the way that uh, he did it. So his name was Donatien Alphonse François Comte de Sade, which means Count of a place called Sad. He was born on the 2nd of June, 1740. And I'll be referring to him as either de Sad or the Marquis, um, because Marquis is also another title that they used, which basically meant count or duke or whatever. Um, No, he was a noble boy, essentially. And his mother was a lady-in-waiting to the French royal family. So this is how he was growing up, and he was supposed to be a playmate for the royal children. But he actually fought with them and beat up a prince. So um, they were like, maybe not. Maybe you're not the best playmate. And so he was sent to live with his uncle in the south of France. His uncle was a church abbot, which I did have to look up, and it just means the head of an abbey of monks. So he was he was pretty much raised by servants because his uncle was busy being a church abbot his father abandoned him and his mother and then his mother joined a convent so good start he was very well educated but he was kind of starved for affection four years after being sent to live with his uncle he moved back to paris to study at lycée louis le grand which was a jesuit college where corporal punishment was often used um it's quite liberally used so he was uh you know whipped and beaten quite a lot and it's thought that perhaps this is what sparked his enjoyment of pain. I mean, that's that's probably a good guess. Yeah, it's probably the best best guess, isn't it? Um, I think I think also it just sort of creates desensitization to pain and to violence as well. I just don't think violence and children is an appropriate mix. Um, it just causes all the wrong sorts of connections in their brains. And Desad is a brilliant example of that. So at 14, he joined the Academy for the King's Light Cavalry. They only admitted those from influential families. He begins gambling and visiting sex workers. So not only is he a sexually active 14-year-old, but with presumably... I mean, that is late for France. Is it? Well, they're a lot more liberal, aren't they? They're drinking 
They're drinking wine at dinner most nights. And Wait, are you talking about the French or about the people in the 1700s? Well, but, but exhibit A and exhibit B. People had shorter lives, so we have to reflect that with by shifting boundaries back a little bit. Mm. And also the French, because they are the French. Okay, as a French person, <laughs> tread lightly. Quad erat demonstratum. Um, but no, I, I, I mean, I, I, I do see where you're coming from. But I think that in his case, it's less of... Uh, France being liberal and more of a a case of no one was raising him. Mm. He was he is, was essentially living on his own, so he had all the freedom, and he was a he was a bloody marquis, so he had the money and the power and the education to do whatever he wanted. Yeah, from a really young age, and we all know that just goes badly, doesn't it? So, so are we saying he I mean, is? Hang all on, those I'm to... Disney stars. Well, I was going to say, are we saying he is a real life? Tyrion Lannister? Yeah, yeah. You know what? He is quite Tyrion. If Tyrion was awful, he'd be a Tyrion. Oh, that's a good point. Tyrion um, is not because awful. Because Tyrion just sort of was left on his own with a bunch of money. So yeah, he started indulging in, in um, sexual activities and gambling and stuff from a, and drinking, yeah, from a young age. That's actually quite a good comparison. There we go. There we go, listeners. How to bring uh, 18th century crime to 20th, uh, 21st century television. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful comparison. <laughs> so he um, he then started getting involved with the military and he went from, so the King's Light Cavalry. It, within that, he went from sub-lieutenant to colonel to, of a dragoon regiment, which I don't know what that means, but it sounds wonderful. And he served in the Seven year, Years' War. And when that ended in 1763... He was wed to René Palagie de Montreuil in an arranged marriage. He met her only two days before the wedding. And this was arranged by his father because the Montreuil family were wealthy, but didn't have the social standing that the de Sade family did. And the de Sade family didn't have the money that the Montreuil family did. So it was kind of a perfect match. It was like, I'll give you my social standing. You give me your money. And so he moved in with the Montreuil family in Paris. But he kept a secret apartment, which you can imagine is not going to be the best place. He used it for all of his nefarious activities. The, the first account we have of him using this apartment in a nefarious way is when he locked a sex worker in the apartment and made her whip him and screamed blasphemies at her while he stomped on a crucifix. And as you can imagine, in the 1700s, blasphemy wasn't exactly the best thing you could do. That is from naught to 50 really quick. I'm, I'm, you say that, but as a child, he did beat up a prince so severely he was sent to go live with his uncle. And then he starts gambling and then he starts engaging in sex with sex workers. So... Yes, but the difference is, the difference is he didn't beat the prince so badly that the prince had to go and live with his uncle. <laughs> well, like I said, it's the first one we know of. So maybe he did a bit of like choking and whatever. And then he got to this level, I don't know um, if it escalated, but this is the first account that we we have. Um, but it was the blasphemy, not the whipping and the screaming and whatever, and the locking a sex worker in his apartment that got him uh, put in jail. It was it was the blasphemy because, you know, uh, Jesus is more important, I guess, than a you know woman in the flesh who's being tortured, but sure. Um, so he spent 15 days in jail because of this. Only 15, which I think is amazing, but um, it, it was because his mother-in-law got him out. So keep the mother-in-law in mind because she is a character in this story. I can't tell if she hates him, if she loves him. 
I don't know what she's doing because she bails him out just as much as she puts him in those places. So you'll see it gets a bit twisted. It, it gets it gets a bit twisted. <laughs> yeah, it gets twisted. It, it it's already Boy, twisted, boy. but the relationships are because are are. Just bizarre, oh. to be honest. It is very Game of Thrones, actually. That was a very apt comparison. So, <laughs> I was going to say we're not we're not suddenly going to go to Oedip- uh What is it? Uh, Freud territory here, are we? In Oedipus, he has been compared to the Freud before Freud, actually. So, uh, she got him out of jail, but she kept his indiscretions a secret from his wife slash her her own daughter. So she was like, "All right, I'm bailing you out, but let's not tell your wife that you've been engaged engaging with sex workers." However, he did this so much that within the year, many brothels knew not to let their sex workers go to the Marquis' apartment because you know, bad and violent things would happen. And he was actually being watched by a policeman who reported his activities to his mother-in-law. Like I said, does she love him? Does she hate him? What's she doing? Why is she keeping such close tabs on him and then bailing him out? Who knows? But Easter Sunday, 1768, Desad becomes involved with a 36-year-old woman named Rose Keller. I read differing accounts. In some, I read that she was a sex worker. And in others, I read a description of her as a widow beggar who approached Assad for arms. And in this account, he offers her work and she agrees, understanding this work to be housekeeper-esque. He ties her to his bed, whips her with a cat and nine tails, drips hot wax on her body. And some accounts say that the hot wax was actually poured into incisions that he had made. Either way, it's pretty horrific. And he made her do all of this by threatening to kill her and burying her in the garden. He says, if you, if, you don't, if you don't let me do all these things to you, I'm going to kill you and bury you in the garden. So obviously she, uh, you know, not allowed it, but complied. A religious element comes into this again because he makes her confess to him. And that sounds quite a lot like what would have happened to him at the Jesuit school when he was receiving corporal punishment. Luckily, Rose escapes through a window. And although the Desad family paid her off, so that she wouldn't wouldn't say anything about what happened. She actually still reported the incident to the police and Desad was arrested. He comes clean, tells his wife Renee what happened, and surprisingly, wait, I want you to guess what her reaction to this is. If you if your husband just told you, Oh yeah, I've been beating up sex workers and yeah, now I'm getting arrested. I'm I'm more inclined to say that whilst obviously not happy, she probably doesn't say too much because she still wants you know what's what's the wife of a marquis, comp day or something or mar- marquise. Well, that's that's quite logical, I'd say. Yeah, um, but and and you're right. She was she was cool with it. She was fine with what was happening, but she actually went a little bit further than that. She kind of got involved after that. Oh, of we'll course. We'll talk about that a bit later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So the, the natural reaction is, great, can I get in on this? Uh, obviously. Um, <laughs> so his mother-in-law bails him out again after he gets arrested for what he does to Rose Keller. And she gets the king to write a lettre de cachet, and those are going to come up a lot. And they were letters... T- in literally translates to letters of hiding or like hidden letters or secret letters, something like that. And they were used to prevent long drawn out trials that would embarrass aristocratic families. So you write a lettre de cachet to the king and then the king sentences the person rather than the person going to court. And obviously if it's a nobleman writing to the king, he's going to be a bit more lenient. So King Louis the Fifteenth sentenced 
the Marquis. And he spends two weeks in Samur, which is the royal prison, before he was moved to a different royal prison, the prison de Pierre Ancise. But it's not exactly prison-esque because he's allowed a valet he often has dinner with the warden he's allowed to have his wife visit and then he's released before the end of 1768 which is the same year that he was arrested anyway so he was in there for less than a year just a few months for completely beating this woman in any case by 1771 de Sade and René have three children and their happy little family of sadists move their to their Lacoste chateau. With them, they bring a whole bunch of servants, including a valet named Latour, and also Renee's sister Anne, both of whom engage in a sexual affair with Desade. <laughs> While they're living in the same house as Renee, his wife, and their three children. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, let's be thankful it stopped at, you know, just those residents of the house and not the remaining residents of the house. No, he no, he had sex with a lot more of them as well. It's just those were his two main ones. I mean, quel supie, man who likes to have sex, continues to have sex with lots of people. Yes, that that <laughs> is a logical conclusion or assumption to make about him. And it's correct. Yeah, he, he, he does sex with a lot of them. But I don't, I haven't mentioned them all because it's just too many. He's just a very sexual being. So in 1772, de Sade Latour, his manservant, they go to Marseille, which is pretty much the area I'm from in France. Um, so next time we go there, I'm going to try and see if I can find something to do with de Sade. But it's irrelevant. It's just a bit exciting to me because it's literally... Killing it on tour. Killing it on tour, yeah. Whoop. I'm coming to France, but I'm going to do it in English. I'm not speaking <laughs> French for a whole hour. Ha. So they go to Marseille and they incapacitate four sex workers with an aphrodisiac called Spanish Fly. And the sex workers reported feeling ill after having taken it, some even vomiting a dark substance. Now, predictably, de Sade and Latour engaged in sexual activity with the women, involving whipping and sodomy. <laughs> and <laughs> apparently, de Sade asked the women to fart. <laughs> Which I just find more amusing than anything else. Have you, um, have you ever seen... The cake farts video? Uh, the the cake fart video. Yeah, have you not seen it? I'm going to be honest. I think I've got two words I'm going to add to my banned YouTube list. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty beautiful. It's this woman who goes, she's trying really hard to be sexy. And she goes, you know what I like the most? Cake farts. And then she sits on a cake and then farts the cake icing. Oh. It, so that's what... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. And that's supposed to be porn, so I'm pretty sure Desad would be very proud of where society's gone. Um, <laughs> yeah, apparently he, he would get very disappointed when they weren't able to fart these sex workers that he was um, trifling what, with. fart on cue? Well, yeah, he, so he would give them the aphrodisiac and he would say, this should make you fart. And then, you know, he's engaging in sexual activity with them. Ew. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. Farting is fine. That's not hurting anyone. But the rest of it... Not so much. So um, more of this kind of activity happens in Marseille with uh, de Sade and Latour. And one account includes de Sade whipping a sex worker while Latour has sex with her. And de Sade um, also liked to be whipped himself. So, you know, he, he takes as much as he gives, apparently. Yeah, as you do. And he also apparently marked the number of lashes he received into the mantelpiece. Like kind of a point of pride. I took this many lashes today, I suppose. Um, but at this time, um, again, it's 1772. So at this time, sodomy was a crime punishable by death. So once the word got out that the Marquis and his valet were committing sodomy, 
the two became kind of wanted men. So Renee and Anne, they both, those are the two sisters, Renee being his wife, they actually try and help Dessad and Latour by going to Marseille and bribing the sex workers to change their accounts. But this was to no avail. On the 12th of September, 1772, Dessad and Latour are sentenced to death in absentia. Now, what do you think that means? What, death in absentia? Or, or being sentenced in absentia? Yeah, being sentenced to death in absentia. Well, it's going to be absence, isn't it? So they're, they're sentenced without being there because they can't capture them, but they know they've committed the crimes and they've got the victims they just don't have the perpetrator Mm, that's what i assumed as well um i assumed it would just mean that they were declared dead to the world and you know obviously if they were found they'd be executed but as far as you know the king was concerned they were dead men right that makes sense doesn't it yeah practically i mean i think that might that might not be its actual meaning but it might be essentially the um practicalities of it that because I, I wouldn't say dead to the world. It's just in, in that jurisdiction, they've been tried of a crime, they've been found guilty of a crime, and if they are found under that jurisdiction again, they will be. And someone knows obviously that the sentence has been passed, then they'll be killed. But they've been sentenced, but they just weren't there. Well, yeah. So I tried really hard to find the definition of it, and I could, I couldn't. But I assumed it was something like what we've been saying. You know, it was in that ballpark. But actually, as part of the sentencing, their images were burned in effigy. So it was like they had... It's like Guy Fawkes night. It's like we're burning Guy Fawkes every November 5th. And this that's just basically what, what they did. They were like, burn them. But they, weren't, but they were still alive, frolicking somewhere. I just find it very strange. I just don't know what the point of it is. Well, surely burning images of them is even more foolish because you need to know what they look like in case you need to kill them. <laughs> yeah, how are you going to make wanted posters, you fools? Um... So they're not around. The reason they're in, in, in uh, the reason they're in absentia is because they fled to Italy, where and the Marquis brings Anne as well, just for shits and gigs, I guess. But they were caught not long after they fled, and they were imprisoned at the fortress of uh, Moylans in French Savoy. Now, again, what is his fr- what is his mother-in-law doing? Because she is the one who orchestrated his arrest in French Savoy, um, and did she did another lettre de cachet? So I don't I don't know what she's playing at, to be honest. But in April of 1773, he escaped and went into hiding at Lacoste. And he he temporarily flees Lacoste again when his mother-in-law arranges a police raid by means of the lettre de cachet. That's, a, that's like her thing. She needs to acquire another one for the secondary crime that he's committed. The, the first one isn't enough. No, because this one is like she sent one to arrest him when he fled to Italy. And then he comes back to Lacoste, which is in France, which is where one of his palaces is. And then she finds out that he's there and she sends a lettre de cachet to get the police to raid the chateau. Right. So he flees for a bit. They raid the chateau. He's not there. And then he comes back in late 1774. And he's accompanied by five female servants and one male servant. He's also joined by his wife. Now, this is where the monster mash comes in. Because not only is he a nobleman and French, but he also imprisons these servants. And they're all young, right? Over the course of six weeks, Latour and Assad would torture and rape these, these captives. And they would make these acts theatrical. And they would perform them to Assad's wife, Renée. So, again, she gets really involved at this point. So she's involved in the imprisonment and she's involved in the enjoyment of their torture. And when the relatives of the servants try to lodge complaints about how 
how these captives are being treated, Dasad's mother-in-law shut them up, presumably with money. But I just don't understand this woman. Why is she saving him one minute and arresting him the next? She's absolutely bizarre. So she she actually shuts um, shuts them up. And then there's one who won't give up and won't be hushed. And so she gets this person imprisoned by means of Lettre de Cachet. So... 17th of July, we're coming to the end, don't worry. 17th of July, 1775, Desad flees to Italy again. Um, and I find this quite amusing. He complains about his neighbours in Provence saying, if anyone so much as whips a cat in this Provence, they all say it's Monsieur Desad who did it. And he's like really upset that they all think so poorly of him. And it's like, well, yeah, going around just whipping young, young servants. Of course we think that's you. Yeah, sounds sensible. Yeah. He returns to Lacoste a year later with yet more young girls. And in 1777, some of the girls managed to flee his chateau. And one of the girls went to her father and the father comes to the chateau to shoot the sad. But the gun actually misfires. Now that same year, so 1777, the sad gets word that his mother is sick and is in Paris and is on her deathbed, essentially. So he goes to be by her side and it turns out she died quite a while before then. And the authorities were pretending that his mum was ill to get him to return to Paris when she was already dead. And the ruse worked and he was imprisoned. Um, In 1778, he appealed and so he was spared the death penalty and then in 1790, Rene divorced Desad. So that's almost the end. Um, since his capture in February of 1777, Desad would be in and out of prisons and asylums for the rest of his life. He was thrown out of one prison for disturbing and seducing the prisoners, um, was moved to an asylum, but his family intervened and got him transferred to a different asylum. And unfortunately, it was at this asylum, the um, Charreton Asylum, in 1803, where he met an asylum employee's child, 14-year-old Madeleine Leclerc, and Desad engaged in sexual activities for the next four years with this 14-year-old girl. And then he died in 1814. So I've just outlined a bunch of sexually deviant behaviours that he demonstrated throughout his life. Um, But this isn't actually where we get the word sadism from. He spent a lot of his time in prison writing and wrote a fair amount before he was captured as well. Do you know any of the of the things that he's written? I'm aware of the um, 120 Days of Sodom, which is like yeah. that famous thing that they keep remaking into movies. People are making them into movies? Yeah, it's one of the... I'm pretty sure it's a very famous movie. Oh, wow. Uh, hold on. In 1975, Pierre Paolo Pasolini turned the book into a film. Oh, my gosh. Salo or Le... Uh, the film is transposed from 18th century France to the last days of Benito Mussolini's reign. That's insane. Because literally the next thing I have written down is that it was banned in a bunch of countries due to the explicit nature and themes of sexual violence and extreme cruelty. So I can't believe that after it, the book stopped being banned, it actually got made into a film. That's insane. Well, there, See, it's telling me that there's something in a film in 1930, which was written by Louis Buñuel and you might have heard of the second writer, a little-known guy called Salvador Dali. Um, rings a bell. Rings a bell. The intertitle narration tells of an orgy of 120 days of depraved acts, which is a reference, but not directly related. Right. Huh. 
So the 120 Days of Sodom actually describes the sexual experiences of four wealthy men who locked themselves in a castle for four months with 36 other people. And they all just had a bunch of violent orgies. So that's that's the whole book. And it, a handwritten scroll of this book sold for $7.8 million in 2014. And uh, uh, the final fun fact to round this case off is apparently the Moore's murderers loved Desad's books. Absolutely loved them. Huh. Isn't that fun? Not normally a sentence said when describing the Moore's murderers. No. All right. So that was my case. Um, do you have anything that you've been killing it at recently? I'm very pleased that I've managed to slay the the overwhelming dragon that is uh, shorthand. So I'm studying to be a journalist. Yes, congratulations on passing those exams. Thank you. It's 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 not so much a useful skill anymore in as much as it used to be taught to all secretaries that could take notes. And you can, with one form of shorthand, I believe, take up speeds of up to about 180 to 200 words a minute. Wow, that's a lot. So, um, yeah, that to, to slay that, to get that out of the way, has lifted a massive weight. And what about you? Have I mean, how's everything been with you recently? Um, well, recently I found out that I've been kind of killing it at the podcast because Sam got in touch and and he, when we first started the podcast, he set an alarm on his phone for, well, a reminder for uh, the one year anniversary of the podcast coming out. And that was a couple of weeks ago. So Aww. he dropped me a message to let me know and to say, you know, good job on, on carrying it uh, going, which I really appreciated. Um, you know, it's not the same as it used to be. And I certainly miss him and miss having him as a co-host. But I think the fact it's still going, even if it's, you know, more sporadic and fewer episodes and and all of that, I think I, I would like to say that I'm still killing it just for trying, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm sure I'm sure I can do this on behalf of the, the listeners. Still count as a listener. It's not going to feel real listening to myself. But, uh, you know, well done on you guys for reaching a year. You know, obviously, uh, Sam, fantastic to still listen. All the best uh, with everything. And, yeah, thank you more specifically, Lux, for having me on today. And Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for coming on. My absolute pleasure. And... You know, make sure to keep listening in. Yeah, that's, yeah, fantastic achievement, one year. And here's hoping all good stuff to come. Thank you. Thanks so much, David. All right. If you'd like to give the show a follow on social media, we are Killing It Crime on Twitter, Killing It Crimecast on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page and you can email us at killingitcrimecast at gmail.com. That is it from us. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.